Alright all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome one and all to episode 79 of the SLS Cast. That's right ladies and gentlemen, it is the Elvis Presley episode. Yes, because you see... At 79 cumulative weeks at number one, he holds the record for being on the Billboard charts. 79 weeks at number one cumulatively over all of his wonderful hits. And that's amazing. And that's why it's the Elvis Presley episode. With that wonderful little bit of Billboard music trivia, and hopefully you'll win a prize at your local sports bar, I am Matt you know, if, if anybody gets anything from listening to this program, it would be the random late-night drunken bar trivia that these people could possibly win by listening to our show. <laughs> this is true. This is, this, this is true. The, the, if nothing else, it's at least informative within the first 45 seconds. Exactly, yeah. So just listen to the first 45 seconds. Don't, don't waste your time on the last hour, 29 minutes and... 20 seconds? Yeah, who, who cares about that, right? And then just like it, like, you know, like it, or give it a thumbs up in Stitcher, stuff like that. You know, that's really all we need. <laughs> just take a nap and then after maybe you, somebody after will listen that. to it for real. <laughs> and that, yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, who are you? Uh, who am I? I am Tim. Outstanding. And Tim, how have you been? So how was how is your trek back home to California? California, way. I am wedding to out... For sure. Uh, my sister's wedding was the Friday, uh, last Friday night, and then this past weekend I went to a, a good friend of my girlfriend's wedding, and that it was one big Croatian wedding, and I gotta say, that was some of the best damn wedding food I have ever masticated. Ever. It was delicious. Like, I, I now have a better respect for wedding food. And mastication. And, and mastication, is... yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But uh, Well, that's awesome. Yeah, but I, I, have, uh, a, I have a gum infection. That's, a, that's amazing. That's, I found that out today. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm working that out right now, which is it, exciting. It, it is hopefully not painful anymore. Oh, no, no, not at all. Not at all. I, I just oh, cry good. every 25 seconds once I remind myself of it. <laughs> Delightful. Yes. Yes. How about yourself? Yeah. How's this past week been treating you? Um, the, the past week has been okay. The, uh, however, the last few days have been shaping up and moving forward. I'm going crazy with too much stuff going on. My in-laws are having to move rather suddenly. And just because of the way the timing of everything is working out to where they would like to move and everything. So they're trying to get the house ready in like a week and... Uh, you know, get all the new stuff signed for where they're going to, and, and you know, storage units and everything else. And of course, so I'm trying to help, but then we're getting uh, like dressers and stuff. I've got other relatives who are taking stuff that's not going to go to the new place. So, like yesterday, I spent the bulk of the day wrestling a 450 pound armoire slash entertainment center out from upstairs in their bedroom, down a flight of stairs, and over to another in-law's house. Too much, too much stuff, and not enough time to do it in. Yeah. But other than that, you know, I was I was glad for movies like the FP, 
<laughs> I can honestly say that. To completely dumb down your brain. To yes, make to, to make uh, to kind of call it was it's nice every once in a while to literally put your brain in comatose mode and still not miss anything. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and high praise indeed for the FP. <laughs> well, one bit of uh, ridiculous uh, entertainment news that uh, I just yes. kind of want to spare, spare, spare or share. More likely share because I don't want to spare you from it. Uh, but it's this guy, uh, and his name is Vitali Sidiuk. Or Sediayuk, S-E-D-I-U-K. And he was a former Russian news reporter. And he is known for, like, groping actors and actresses on the red carpet. You know, all these, like, publicity stunts that this guy does. And uh, a few weeks ago during the Cannes Film Festival, he uh, went up America Ferrara's dress at the How to Train Your Dragon 2 premiere. Like, he crawled up the dress. And then, soon after, uh, during Brad Pitt's... uh, uh, During the Maleficent movie premiere, Brad Pitt was on the carpet, and this guy jumped over the railing to try to stick his face in Brad Pitt's crotchular region. Yeah, I heard... Yeah, there was something I saw an article about not putting... Not putting your face in Brad Pitt's... Lap or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, I mean, they have like 55 kids. You don't know what's on that lap for one thing. And <laughs> so he got <laughs> sentenced to like community service. So he's up here at the, <laughs> up here at, he's 25 years old. It's funny that he is a former TV reporter. He's 25. He uh, was, he had to do some kind of like community service up here at Griffith Park, not too far away from me. However, during his, Community service, he's wearing the orange vest and everything. There are pictures and video of him riding around on the Griffith Park merry-go-round. He even takes over uh, playing the conga drums in the middle of the park, as well as playing a maraca or two. And the entire time he's smiling and, you know, it's ridiculous because he's kind of getting away with murder. Not murder, he's just getting away with, you know, sniffing random people's crotches. And by, you know, just going out, basically giving the, the FU to everybody who has ever had to do community service who is not a pop culture, I don't know if he's an icon or anything, but just maybe like a pop culture, now it's probably going to be a pop culture reference now. So, I don't know, I thought that was kind of interesting. He, he's, he's another ridiculous human being to look out for in the entertainment you know, cadre of Igmos. Sure. Oh, and also in ridiculous entertainment things, I totally forgot. I sat down and watched The Room all by myself. Oh, did you? Yes, start to finish. Now, did you so watch watch sure it by say, yourself sober, or did you? were you in the company of... No, no. Oh, yeah, totally sober. I wanted to make sure that I fully had the experience... Uh, because I'd already known about it, I'd already seen sound, uh, seen the clips, and uh, gotten the sound bites, knew the ridiculousness, able to do the quotes and stuff, but never actually sat down start to finish. Jen actually sat down for about ten or ten or twelve minutes of it uh, towards the last third of the movie. I can't remember where she landed. Probably between forty-five minutes and, and an hour or so into the movie, and uh, and, and even she was like, "What the fuck." <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it was, yeah, it's hilarious. 
Oh, good. Yeah. I, I honestly, I had to, I didn't just Wikipedia it. I IMDb'd it and Metacritic'd it and Rotten Tomatoed it because I simply did not believe that that film was uh, shot in 2001. I refuse, it just, you sit down and you watch it and I swear to God, it's like 1993 <laughs> staring you in the face. And I'm like, there's just no way this was filmed in 2001. No, there's just no way. And what's ridiculous <laughs> yeah. about it is that he shot it in both on both film and digitally at oh, the same time. And digital. With a custom rig. Exactly. With a yeah. custom rig. Just to be the first director who ever did it. Mainly because he didn't know what the hell he was doing in the first place. <laughs> oh, this is just an exercise in craziness. So yeah, so I'm really looking forward now to going to a midnight screening of The Room. Good, yeah. Whenever I can find one. It's fun! Yeah, I'll try. I'll bring my plastic spoons. So on that note, do you want to go ahead and get down into the nitty gritty real stuff? Yes, we shall. Alright then, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It's the news! You want to go first? Or you want me to go first, sir? Uh, you can go first. Alrighty. Well, I've got a pair of just kind of fun news. It's not. It wasn't really appropriate for news of the weird, but it is just kind of fun news. So I'm just gonna jump these on you. These both come uh, come to us from uh, Yahoo.com or from Yahoo Movies specifically. First one is courtesy of Amanda Bell, which uh, is just how big is the markup on movie theater food? And she talks about now she went uh, to looking at uh, she went she went about this looking at it through from like New York Chicago L A she hit uh, pricing in several major metropolitans so that she'd come up with a, a, an average. Now this is, this may not directly reflect where you live, listener apostrophe or the parent parenthesis s other parenthesis listeners, but this is still a good idea. So the popcorn was $8.15 for the average cost of a large bucket. And that was with a free refill. And it's also uh, given that $0.90 was the estimated cost of the raw goods needed to make it. That brings you to 806% markup. And the soda was an average cost of $6.31, which was, uh, and then you had $0.40, which was the estimated cost of the raw syrup. Then, of course, they also added in the cost of cups at like seven cents a piece, lids, half a cent, the straws, all that kind of stuff. Comes up to still a 593% markup. And then the candy was $4.25 for plain M&Ms at AMC. And then if you went to Walmart, cost of plain M&Ms was $2.08. So that's only 104% markup. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so I, you know, just in case you were ever wondering just how much you're getting butt raped on this stuff, now you know. 800 and something percent on popcorn, almost 600 percent on soda, and just 104 percent on candy. Yay. Well, I mean, get those free refills, y'all. Cut that mark up. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, and then also, again, this was from Yahoo Movies. This one is courtesy of Carrie Mitchell. 
There is a new video out there that alphabetizes every single word in Star Wars. And so what they do is, like, any time that the word is uttered, for example, surface is uttered three times. They, they, they just show you where one, two, three instances of the word being said. There are 11,684 words total. Lightsaber is only uttered once, and Force is only uttered 22 times. Really? Yes. And they do speed this up. They, they run it very quick. The whole video is 43 minutes. Oh. Is that all three movies, or just the first? No, just the original Star Wars. Oh, okay. And, and I watched probably the first about 10 minutes of it, just for, you know, I think I got all the way into the bees or something like that. And uh, it's pretty funny because they're going really, really quick and you just start seeing this little counter. And they start with A, so it's like I didn't understand it at first because they're doing instances of the word. And so it starts off and it's just uh, 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 uh. And I'm like, is something wrong with this video? And they're like, oh, no, they're counting the amount of times somebody said the word uh or the letter A as a word. And, yeah, so. Who the shit has that time to sit down and... Tom Murphy the seventh. The seventh. <laughs> yeah. Credit the creator. This is from the article. Credit the creator Tom Murphy the seventh for a sense of humor about his semantic mini masterpiece. Yeah. Huh. And he will never get paid for that. Mm-hmm. Never. The seventh. Yeah. Anyway, what do you got, sir? Alright, so I got some production updates. First one being of Ant Man. As we all know, Edgar Wright is not involved with the project as of May 2000, or May 2000, May 23rd, this past May, 23rd, and they've, Marvel's been on the hunt for people to take over the director's chair as well as the, as a, as a, as a writer, a rewriter, and they finally settled on somebody, director being Peyton Reed, and Adam McKay will actually be rewriting the script or just maybe writing some additional dialogue or whatever now for those of you who might or i should say for those ladies out there who might recognize the name peyton reed perhaps you would recognize him from the hit movie from the early 2000s entitled bring it on that's right the guy who directed bring it on will be directing ant-man and the guy who wrote and directed anchorman as well as many other not too terribly good Will Ferrell movies, will be rewriting Ant-Man. So this will be, this will definitely be a very interesting project. Paul Rudd, or Paul Rudd, is still involved with the film, as well as Michael Douglas, though last week Michael Douglas did come out and say that, well, I guess he indirectly said that uh, he really wasn't too excited about Edgar Wright leaving the project because it, it you get the idea in the video that he was really involved with the project because Edgar Wright was involved with the project. So uh you know we'll see how this goes. Next update Pacific Rim 2 it is now being written. Right now it is being written. According to this cinemablend.com article entitled Pacific Rim 2 is being written right now by Mike Rice they say that BuzzFeed spoke with the director at the Austin Television Festival, director as in Gilmero del Toro, where he is promoting the premiere, uh, the premiere episode of The Strain. Naturally, the subject of a Pacific Rim 2 came up as it bound to happen when talking with del Toro. 
After all, this and Hellboy 3 are always a hot topic to discuss with fans. It was then that good old Gilmero dropped some knowledge, and he says this, I'm working very, very hard with Zach Penn. We've been working for a few months now in secret. We found a way to twist it around. Travis Beachman was involved in the storyline, and now I'm writing with Zach because Travis has become a TV mogul. End all quotes. So that's exciting. Uh, we can look forward to hopefully seeing uh, more updates here in the coming months, probably another six months or so. It really won't start taking off. And then finally for... up, Actually, no. Two more updates here. Matt. War of the Roses. Dan DeVito. Kathleen Turner. When Kathleen Turner was impeccably gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael Douglas. Was yes. that a good favorite movie of yours? Did you enjoy it? It's a pretty good... Honestly, uh, I think this was kind of an excuse to kind of give them a trilogy closer, more or less. Because you had uh, Romancing the Stone... And then Jewel of the Nile, and where you know they meet and fall in love. Then Jewel of the Nile, where they kind of solidify their love and kind of form a relationship. And even though it's not part of that mythos, you still then see War of the Roses, where everything comes crashing down. For years, an, it, I thought War of the Roses was the third movie of Romancing the Stone. <laughs> but yeah, it... And I, they did that as kind of just like a, I really think just to kind of give it that closure. But yeah, I mean, it's not tied to it by any kind of mythos or anything. And I got to say, it's an interesting movie. And there are some, there are some uh, really true to life things, but still kind of funny and yet still kind of deadly sad and stupid. But having gone through a divorce, it really made me appreciate that movie a lot more. And... I'm not sure at the end of the day where I really land on it, but I always tell people to watch it because I want to get more whenever it come, whenever I can. I always tell people to watch it, so I, I have a, I have a feeling there is a reason why you have asked me this. I have War of the Roses is based off a book, and it turns out that there is a sequel, and I have the name to that sequel. I'm sure people are going to wonder. Oh yes, it's called War of the Roses: The Children. And it's written by Warren Adler, and it's the follow-up to The Children of the Roses. Or, excuse me, sorry. The a book is was originally called The Children of the Roses, but the movie will be entitled War of the Roses, The Children. There we go. Pardon me. And that, yes, exactly how it sounds. They're going to be making a sequel to War of the Roses. Uh, what it says here in this uh, Cinema Blend article, Variety reports... Permute Presentations and Great Eagle Productions are teaming up to make War of the Roses the children, and producers have hired up-and-coming screenwriter Alex Alex McCulley to draft its screenplay. David Permute, Jonathan Adler, and Steve Greenwald will serve as producers, while Chris Mango, or Mangano, (laughs) will executive produce. There's no word yet on who this group is considering for the sequel's directing chair, though Dan DeVito directed the first. There's no hint as to whether or not he's been approached for its part two. And it goes on to say that the first one starred Kathleen Turner, Michael Douglas, and talks about their characters. But what it says about this new movie is that it focuses on the children, now grown, that Oliver and Barbara left behind. All Oliver and Barbara are the Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas characters. Their son Josh is married, but his mother-in-law despises him, and his marriage is crumbling over an incident involving a a missing Milky Way bar. 
His children, Emily and Michael, stir up further issues. Meanwhile, his sister Carolyn, named Eve in the book, is heavyset and happy-go-lucky with a long list of lovers. But trouble brews for both, roping in a sexually predatory headmaster, a blackmailing husband, and darkly funny scenes. Having not read the book, I must admit, these curious scraps have me intrigued, says this uh, Cinema Blend article by the name of Christy Puchko. We've been talking about Puchko often. It's another Puchko article, Matt. She's Puchkoing all over the place these days. But yeah, so it doesn't sound like that the Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas necessarily have to be in the movie. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Sounds interesting. I don't know anybody who's seen The War of the Roses, and it's been how many decades now? What came out? Be a little difficult for them to be in the movie, don't you think? (laughs) More so Kathleen Turner than Michael Douglas. What do you mean, more so? Spoiler alert, they're both equally dead at the end of the movie. How I don't understand. Oh, did they die at the end of the movie? Yeah, they fall from a chandelier. Yeah, but I didn't realize they... I, I thought one of them lived. Or both no, of them they lived. both die. Really? They both die confessing their love for one another. Are you, are you trying to tell me something? That you should confess your love? No, I'm just saying... <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just... I mean, it, it's literally... Yeah, they, they both die at the end. I wonder how many people went and saw this movie back in 1989 and made a vow to never own a chandelier of that magnitude ever because that is one huge ass goddamn chandelier that nobody should have that chandelier in the house all right and finally my very last production update finally is uh pertains to jurassic park the new jurassic park and it turns out that they're gonna break away from the hawaiian sets and they're gonna start filming in an abandoned six flags theme park and it's funny because the picture they show this uh, Six Flags theme park, it's the Six Flags in New Orleans, which I actually never knew that there was a Six Flags in New Orleans. It shows uh, a graffitied ride front of a SpongeBob SquarePants ride. And it looks nothing remotely like a Jurassic Park set in its current state. Yeah, that that's exciting. I just felt like talking about it because... For one thing, I didn't know there was a, another abandoned Six Flags in the United States. And also, I didn't realize uh, New Orleans had an abandoned Six Flags, let alone that one time they had a running Six Flags theme park. So, Oh, yeah. That, it was the whole thing that went down after the um, uh, hurricane. Hurricane. And as yeah. a matter of fact, uh, do you remember the terrible, terrible Nick Cage movie that we watched last time? Yeah. That's where the ending was shot. Was that that? abandoned Six Flags in New Orleans. I totally forgot they uh, that's how the movie ended. It was in a yeah. theme park. Yes, sir. Oh, and uh, I did look it up, and I was slightly mistaken. Uh, they do die at the end, but only one of them tries to be nice to the other. At the very, it's him, at right? the very it's end. It's him, right? MD? I'm not... So, look, I've already ruined it enough. Now at least maybe there's a, a shred of a reason to go watch it. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm not going to tell you. You can go look it up or go watch it again. Do, 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 do. Yeah. All right. So the last bit of news for me is from NewYorkDailyNews.com or NYDailyNews.com, courtesy of Margaret Ebby. Evan Rachel Wood sued for $30 million for dropping out of 10 Things I Hate About You sequel. 
A rep for the actress calls the legal action preposterous, quote, preposterous, and, quote, a bullying tactic from financially troubled producers, end quotes. All right, so basically they're doing a new 10 Things I Hate About You movie. I have absolutely no idea why, and it's called 10 Things I Hate About Life. The... She she's she left because they were supposed to pay her. They only paid her part of the money that they owed her for the role. They still owed her money. Then the production was halted because they ran out of money. And they kept saying, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. We'll get it worked out, we'll get it worked out. They did not get it worked out. So she said, forget it, I'm out. And now they're claiming that she's responsible for everything falling apart. Quite frankly, even if... They were right, and somehow her walking away caused them to never be able to get the funding they thought they had secured. Even, even I still think that was probably the best move she could have made. I have no idea why anybody would want to see a sequel to 10 Things I Hate About You. And it's, it's not even going to have anything to do with the original movie. This is dumb. Is it based on a series of books or anything like that? Not that I'm aware of. No, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that could be the only reason why that and to capitalize off one of the more popular 90s movies that actually turned out to be pretty decent. Have, I, yeah, I have no idea. The only thing that they list directly about the film was that from the article, the producers of a proposed sequel to 10 Things I Hate About You filed a lawsuit against Wood. I mean, they don't say where it, why they would do that. But as far as I know, 10 Things I Hate About You is just its own. 90s movie. Yeah. Hollywood Reporter article, Seth Rogen deems movie rating system stupid weird. Written by Alex Ben Block. Don't look for Seth Rogen to make a PG-rated movie anytime soon. At the Produce By conference on Saturday, he attacked the MPAA rating system, saying it was weird and stupid. The rating system is so stupid. Why play the game, said Rogen. Why even enter a system that stupid? There's nothing more frustrating than being on a set and coming up with a joke and being told that you can't do it because it's a PG movie. Added Rogan, It's like boxing with your hands tied behind your back because of some weird rating structure. It's just devastating. Rogan and Evan Goldberg on stage with producing partner James Weaver cited Green Hornet as a movie that they found frustrating to make. We learned not to make a $200 million movie, said Rogan. It's not fun. Goldberg said that the film is a reason to stick with R-rated movies. Those things generally uh, generally go hand in hand, agreed Rogan. There aren't too many $20 million R-rated movies. R-rated movies, Rogan and Goldberg agreed, allow them to play out their often raunchy type of humor as they wish. I'll just end all quotes there. It goes... On from there. So, my response to this, for those of you who care, or might agree, when I think of talented people, and even with Judd Apatow, because Judd Apatow was able to make a, uh, well, what a lot of people thought was a really good, really funny cult TV show, that being Freaks and Geeks in the late 90s, he was able to make, yeah, he did, like, funny people and... 40-Year-Old Virgin, which definitely does have raunchy humor in it, but it definitely has really, really good, subtle, and not necessarily, you know, penetration and penis jokes all through it. 
And not only that, but like Steve, look at Steve Martin. Steve Martin was able to make uh, rated R, rated R, R rated, great R rated comedies such as The Jerk, you know, The Man with Two Brains. And yet he was able to do comedies uh, like, you know, Father of the Bride, other, other comedies that were equally as funny, if not funnier. And this goes for so many other comedians and so many other writers who are able to, you know, uh, to, to achieve such a thing. So, what do you think about, Matt, what do you think about Seth Rogen's comment? Now, do you think that he has a point, or do you think that he's just coming up with an excuse because he doesn't want to, I mean, maybe maybe the only, the, only, uh, the only humor he really knows how to achieve are the raunchy penis jokes, penetration jokes, ejaculation jokes, baby eating a condom jokes. I think... I think because I think because of his subject matter, he will not be taken as seriously as he should. And I think it's easy for I think it's easy for him to be dismissed. But if you have ever seen the movie This Film Is Not Yet Rated, you will understand that he is one hundred percent right. The rating system is totally fucked. It is a complete political mind game. And if you aren't playing by the rules or doing the things that they want, they will just fuck you to no end. And they will do it in such a way that they can delay the release of your movie so that you will lose money. I, I think um, it's easier for them to do that when you have such a heavy, heavy reliance on eating condoms uh, or babies eating condoms and, you know, dick jokes and stuff like that. But... That doesn't, again, make it any less, make his comments any less valid. The MPA is stupid. Right. But I mean, how about like if he, if he knowingly goes into a movie that is going to be rated PG or rated PG-13, shouldn't it be up to him to successfully uh, come up with jokes that fit? I mean, he, he has to know that he cannot... Talk about you cannot talk about certain things in a PG movie or PG thirteen movie that you obviously can in a R rated movie, and that's like saying that's like saying that you can't have the birds and the bees talk with a seven year old. Sure, you can. You just you, you don't just walk in and say you just don't walk in and show them a porn. You don't walk here and say, all right, see this dick right here is gonna pound this fucking cunt right here. Oh god, yeah, look at that shit. Oh look at the way. Oh, he's coming all over that fucking pussy. Oh no, you don't do that. That's not how you talk to a seven. Well, yeah, and that well, but that's you what can I'm still saying. have that discussion. Exactly. Well, you see, when that's what I'm saying is that, but it's up to him. It would be up to him or the writers or whoever to craft a joke or craft a scene or craft a moment or whatever it could be it could be heavy material it could be and i don't want to say an r-rated premise but it could be something that could easily be a r-rated premise or r-rated material and it could be incorporated into pg-13 or pg but it would have to be done in a very unique you know way so that it it, it, it just so it's not like blatantly like how you've you know, basically kind of put his R-rated movies... In How I so eloquently put, put it just a moment ago? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, instead of being as blatant as that, you know, it would be up to him to craft, to make dirty jokes that aren't quite dirty like that. that that's what I'm saying, is that, like, instead of blaming the failure of, of uh, the Green Hornet, 
on what he was limited in writing, why couldn't he just work try to work with the system? Well, the system though, but that's that's where he that's where his point is valid is instead of they won they weren't going to even allow him that. When they get it in their heads that they don't want to let you do something, they won't let you do it at all. It's that what they're saying is what where he's coming from, the position isn't that the MPAA told him, look, you can't tell a dick joke in a PG-13 movie. That's just not going to work. What they told him was, you can't use any form or fashion of that subject matter relating to male genitalia in a PG-13 movie. And he's well, now you've completely boxed him into a corner. He has no way to approach it because they've just said, if it's there, you don't get it, you movie. Your movie will be R. Or worse, we'll do NC-17. And then we won't let you appeal it either. Well, that's what if, that's the kind of shit that, that they way. do. Well, that's what I'm. But that's <laughs> what he's that's what he's upset about. That's what he's getting at. That's why he says it's stupid. It's arbitrary to them. It's not that he wasn't. It's not that he couldn't keep the onus on himself to write correctly for the format or the rating they want to get. It's that they said, "Oh, Seth Rogen's doing this. Oh, Judd Apatow's doing this." Or touching this? No, we no, because if we give them an inch, they'll take a mile, and I'm not even going to give, or we're not even going to give them the inch. And and that's what he's getting upset about. And again, I mean, if I highly recommend this documentary, this movie is not yet rated. Uh, you will see just exactly the kind of shit the MPAA pulls. It's yeah, it's I mean, very it interesting. Fucked. So I agree with him. It's just unfortunate that it's coming from him. You, you th- what we need is someone whose movies do not rely on such crude humor to back him or to also make the same statements. But because it's very political, you will not you would be very hard pressed to find anyone who would do that. Well good. Well thank you for clearing that up. No problem. Happy to help. I was reading it wrong or maybe <laughs> All right, so is that going to be the last bit of the news for you then, sir? That will be it. All right, then let's go ahead and jump into the next one real quick. It is the return of Three Squared. Do you like how I did my... Three squared in a really weird way to go with our theme of worst movie accents ever. So which accent were you going for? Or is that the point? I was just trying to do something totally bad, like just a terrible accent that you couldn't even pick up and you wouldn't like, what the hell is he trying to do? (laughs) Because that's pretty much what you're asking yourself. And the sad part is, like for John Voight, Oh shit! I'm throwing. I'm. I'm sorry. I fucked up your pick. <laughs> you, no, you, yeah. For one of your picks, you're you're like all of these movies. You're supposed to know what their accent's supposed to be, but one of your picks, you just don't even have a clue of what accent he's even supposed to be trying to do. I don't. I know it's great. He sounds like he's Al Pacino and Scarface. <laughs> Al Pacino and Scarface trying to do Creole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like a caricature of Scarface. Yeah. All right. Well, since I already screwed up one of yours, uh, go ahead, sir. Why don't you go ahead and do yours so you can do them properly? Okay. So, worst movie accents. Now, I'm not, I didn't, I wasn't going for accents that people were intentionally trying to be bad. For example, uh, a, a really 
famous one would be Mickey Rooney in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's when he plays the Asian. I think he was the Asian neighbor, just very Japanese stu- landlord or something. He's yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah. way pretty. You watch it now, and it's pretty. It's pretty bad. But that, I mean, that was that was on purpose. That was unfortunately very, very, very intentional. So I went with I went with movies, and they just so happened to all come from the '90s, where they are serious performances, for the most part, done by very serious actors. And I'll start off with the not so serious actor, James Vanderbeek. Well, I guess he's a serious actor, but I, I mean he he's known for you know he's the teen heartthrob and. Uh, I, I, I mean, of what I've seen him in, I'm sure he's a he's a very fine actor. But in this movie, for those of you who don't know what Varsity Blues is, it came out in 1999. You know, this was kind of like the American Pie of football movies. This was the movies that everybody wanted to see because there were, you know, there were there were there were boobs in it for the most part. I know it's very it was a very immature guy thing in 1999 for really wanting to see this movie because of they go into a boob bar. You know, a titty bar or whatever. Well, his accent, because this is a football movie based in Texas. I, oddly enough, John Voight is actually in this movie as well. He plays the coach. James Van, Vanderbeek is the uh, is the star quarterback, and he has one of the most over the top Southern Texas Western whatever accent. You know, it's like the stereotypical thing where it's kind of like. You don't know me. This is my life. I like football. I like it. I, I like football. You know, I like it. It's a lot of I and foot. You know, it's my 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 life. It's my life. Ah, ah. It's it's really kind of annoying to watch. I mean, especially if you're from Texas, even a small town in Texas where I don't think anybody. Yeah, I don't think anybody can switch their accent on and off quite like some of these people can. And this is why I chose James Vanderbeek. Playing football at West Canaan may have been the opportunity of your lifetime, but I don't want your life. He looks the part. You know, he's a good-looking football player, high school football player. But, oh my god, is that accent ridiculous, especially during the very kind of dramatic, you know, when he's talking about how... You know, football is football is his laugh. It is his laugh. His laugh. Next up for me is hang on, t- hang on, Tim. Tim, are you sure it was? Are you sure it was about his laugh? Was it his laugh? I, I think it was about his laugh. What, what, football was his laugh. F- football was <laughs> his laugh. Okay. And at just times checking, it was about just checking. His... We'll make sure. We'll make sure it wasn't about his laugh. You know what I mean? That it was his laugh. Yeah. It, and sometimes it's about his <laughs> laugh. <laughs> okay, sorry to interrupt. Carry his, on. His laugh? No, laugh, laugh. Next up is one of the best impersonations of, or impressions of, of, of a, in, a, in a dramatic movie. It's funny that, okay, so, well, okay. Tom Cruise in Far and Away, he plays an Irishman, and he does one of the best impersonations of... Marty McFly's great grandmother grandfather from from the third Back to the Future, you know the the Irish McFly. I forget his name, but he's the Irishman, and you know he, oh Mr. McFly, you know just 
just very happy and top of the morning and, you know, just very stereotypical Irish. And unfortunately, Michael J. Fox made it more, made the character more I, I, I convincing and more, more, I actually felt more for Michael J. Fox's character playing his great-grandfather alongside of Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future Part 3 than I did in Tom Cruise's portrayal of an Irishman in Far and Away from 1992. Not saying that Far and Away is a bad movie. It's still a pretty decent movie. But him and Nicole Kidman's accents get pretty... I mean, I don't know if it's because it doesn't... At the time, people really didn't think about it. It may be now that culture is more i mean life is more of a, of a of a cultural melting pot all around and the inner interwebs and you know people are more open to things and whatever that we're just now noticing things like this more i don't know but it is ridiculous and it is i mean you you every sentence you think it's going to end with something about lucky charms or finding gold at the end of a rainbow it is that leprechaun-y. that he was more leprechaun than the leprechaun. He was as short as a leprechaun, which might throw people, uh, you know, in for a loop. I don't know. Tell me, tell me, you like my hat? You're not wearing a hat. Say it. Say you like my hat. You're not wearing a hat. Say it. Why can't you say it, Shannon? Why can't you say you like my hat? Why can't you say you like my suit? I've earned this. I've... I've done well. My third movie, probably one of my... Probably my favorite of the list, for sure, is uh, John Voight in the 1997 film Anaconda. And what is even funnier is that I remember going into the movie with my grandfather in 1997 to see Anaconda, and before it started, I got scared... And decided to go see Volcano instead. And I was scared of Volcano, and I decided to go back and watch Anaconda. And I, you know, I don't know whether now to be more frightened of the CGI snake, which at the time looked very convincing, or be more frightened of John Voight's accent. Because of what Matt said earlier, you have no idea what he's. He sounds like a. He's trying to impersonate Al Pacino's Scarface that and he has like a or he has like a like he's chew, he has a bunch of mashed potatoes in his mouth that he's trying to talk while he has he's masticating on on some on some mashed potatoes i, I don't know he, there's just something in those cheeks in those john voight cheeks that is preventing him from really enunciating and coming up with a a, a cohesive uh, dialect to speak in I, I don't know is he is he south african or south american uh, is he greek is he Polish? He looks like John Voight. He kind of sounds like John Voight. But I don't think he's trying to be John Voight. You be the judge. I don't know. I, I'm, at a, I'm at a loss. So my three worst movie accents so far are James Vanderbeek in Varsity Blues, Tom Cruise in Far and Away, and then finally John Voight in Anaconda. Right on, right on. Okay, well, I've got three as well, and I'm going to start off. I with hope you have what three. Is... Yeah, no, as well. Kind of, yeah, makes sense. Defeat the purpose of the thing. <laughs> um, all right, we got uh, three of them. 
And and this is probably one of the most iconic. It would be Dick Van Dyke's character from Mary Poppins. And this is a guy who was rumored to be drunk most of the time when he was on set for this movie. And yet uh, still turned... I loved it when I was a kid. But I never realized, you know, how you doing, governor, was not how British people talked. It was more about how uh, Julie Andrews spoke than Dick Van Dyke. But, you know, I still, you know, chim chiminy, chim chiminy, chim chim cherry. A sweep is as lucky as lucky can be. I, do, you, do you think that's how it's supposed to go? Turns out, no. British people don't talk like that. And I thought British women talked like Julie Andrews and British guys talked like Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what it was, what was, I was just a kid. I didn't know any better. Uh, so, yes. What if that, James Bond spoke like Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins? <laughs> Bond, James Bond it is. I've got a license to kill. Oh come now, governor! In all do, in all fairness, though, that Dick Van Dyke was pushed into the accent. Like in the book that I, I read, uh, his uh, autobiography or memoirs or whatever, he uh, he did he even at the time he when he was asked to chitty chitty bang bang, he was asked to do an accent. And in his contract, he put in there that he would not do another English accent or any accent for that matter. So, well, that's good. Yeah. For whatever it's worth. <sighs> At any rate, yeah. So uh, we don't need to go into any detail on that. Everybody's seen Mary Poppins. But I just... That really and truly is one of the worst. Next up for me, though, is... Now, the next two are arguably, for me, a tie. I just truly can't decide the the worst offense here. So, But I have to pick them in an order. So we're just going to go here. From... Uh, 2013's Nymphomaniac, we have the role of Jerome, played by Shia LaBeouf. And this is a character who is a little bit like John Voight. I'm not quite sure what accent he's trying to have, but it doesn't matter. Because based on the length of the line or paragraph, depending on how long he has to speak, you will either get accent no accent or drift in and out it, it it's just it's painful if it wasn't so funny you would literally be it would just cry don't worry you have plenty of sex in this movie to get you get you by but i mean yeah this t- terrible holy crap terrible you you literally start to wonder when you see performances like this just exactly how calculated it was that he was going around saying, I'm not famous anymore. I think he was just trying to head it off. Kind of like when you know you've screwed up, or you're wearing the wrong outfit, or you've got a terrible car, and before anybody can make fun of you about how shitty your car is, or how terrible your outfit is, or how much you don't fit in, you're the first person to bring it up. Aha, look at my stupid car. Aha, I'm so awkward. I think that's what he was trying to do with that whole I'm not famous stint. Because this is just some shitty acting. So, wow. All right, and then we're going to go ahead and follow it up. Well, I'm sure he, up. he took the role for obvious reasons. 
Wait, I get to have a whole bunch of sex? Okay. <laughs> Where do I sign? But you have to do an accent. Where do I sign, damn it? What if right. his internal monologue was your voice? That would be very funny. Like, my actual voice? Yeah, that, that was like his internal monologue for everything. <laughs> I, all I want to know is I want a hashtag fucking paycheck. That's what I would... If, that was, if that, that's so funny, that's what I want. I want to get some of his money. Uh, but last but not least, from 2001, the epic war film Captain Corelli's Mandolin, starring Nicolas Cage and Penelope Cruz. This movie is a uh, just there's there's really not too many good accents to be had here but i swear to god this nicholas cage it's like he took acting lessons from that dude in the 70s alka-seltzer commercial that's the one a spasa meet the ball that yeah because that's about how good he sounds. I'm not kidding. You listen to him and it, he's like, I like to play the mandolin. It's, it's a very fun. Look over to the lady. I mean, this is what he sounds like. And it's the whole movie. And this is like an epic movie. It's supposed, it's over two hours long. And it's just two hours of him uh, being, uh, but in this, and it's because, He's so happy. The character he plays is so happy all the time. You know, but yeah. So Does he ever play the mandolin in the movie? I've, I've never does. seen it, he, so I've, I've always wondered. He does play the mandolin. Oh, Christian Bale is in this movie too, by the way. Like I said, bad accents all around. Because I'm pretty sure Penelope Cruz... I want, isn't she from, like, Spain? Oh, yes. I believe. Oh, yes. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's from, she's from Spain. And she's playing, she's playing a Greek girl. So yeah, so she's yeah she's playing some she's playing a Greek chick where Nicolas Cage is playing an Italian chick or Italian dude. Whoa, it's, whoa, yeah, dynamic. He, he might have been better as an Italian chick. I don't know. Um, he was, he's trying to yeah. So like I said, it's just <laughs> I wish I could I could make fun of like actually try and do the accent from Nymphomaniac as much as I was able to do the accents from Mary Poppins and Captain Crowley's mandolin, but. Shia LaBeouf's accent is so weird, I can't do it right. So there, I can't even do it justice to make fun of it. Um, but apparently I can be his internal monologue, according to Tim. And that'll just have to do. So those are my picks. There you go. From uh, 1964, Mary Poppins with Dick Van Dyke. Uh, and then 2013's Nymphomaniac for Shia LaBeouf. And 2001, Captain Corelli's Mandolin for Nicolas Cage. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my three squared. Now, next week, we are going to do a discussion, a masterpiece discussion, uh, or discussions with Matt and Tim, on an article that Tim found on, uh, well, fill us in, Tim. What's that article about? There are various articles about the Eva Green Sin City poster, saucy poster debacle. and It's great. Yeah, it's, yeah. There's yeah. Uh, for those of you that Ooh, don't know great. the new Sin City movie. They came out with a poster of her looking very provocative, provocative, <laughs> holding a gun, wearing sexy makeup. You know the hair. It's very it's kind like of a like, nurse's outfit. It's like sexy. It's like sexy nurse outfit, except it's totally see through. Yeah, it's, it's sheer and it's see through, and you see the breasts and you see the nipple, and you know the people MPA folk were like, no, no, this this ain't this ain't going out on no theater marquee. Nuh-uh. Not in my life. 
And so they, uh, they, there's like a, there's like a, there's an, an accepted nah. picture in uh, the original picture that you can view online, and it's not safe for work unless you work in a very cool place, I guess. If you work for Pornhub, this is probably like Bambi. Exactly, so. exactly. And and so it's caused a lot of talk. A lot of people say that it should be acceptable because it's just the woman's body, and if the Saw movies can display body parts and whatever, then they, we should be able to see a woman's breast. There you go. So it's going to be that article that we're going to be discussing. And that'll be for next week. So that's going to close out segment three and bring us to... The movies! <laughs> All right, so the movies this week are Escape from Tomorrow, The Frozen Ground, and The FP. Where would you like to start, sir? Uh, let's go with Escape from Tomorrow, since I think all right. out of all these, this is kind of the most anticipated one we've been wanting to talk about. I or think, see. yes, I, I must agree, I must agree. All right, so I, and I really wanted it to be fresh. I actually watched it today. I watched it this afternoon before I had to go to work, so it'd be totally fresh in my mind and ready to go. It is the 2013 American fantasy horror film, and this is the one that uh, got the most notice because of its guerrilla filmmaking taking place in Walt Disney World and Disneyland. It is about a guy who's on vacation with his family. It's the last day of his vacation, and he starts off the day getting fired from his job, and things just don't go well from there. Uh, we've got uh, implied sensual lesbianism amongst teenagers. We have uh, creepiness amongst following said teenagers. We've got mind loss and craziness ensuing and cat flu. Which, I mean, come on. That's, you got you to gotta be careful of cat flu. I mean, in a place founded by a mouse, why not, right? Um... All right, so this movie, I got to say, it really is neat to see how they shot quite a bit of it. And it is really cool to also listen to how he, uh, this guy, uh, Randy Moore is the guy who wrote it, he directed it, and it was very interesting to see how they worked in music to both fit the themes that were happening, especially like when they're on certain rides in the park. And also to contrast what was going on and use it to set the mood. The problem was is that it seemed to more often than not be just way too hit and miss. And you would find yourself wondering what is going on instead of letting the music set the mood. The cinematography was pretty good, again, especially considering the guerrilla filmmaking involved. But even then, they also relied on green screens to create map backgrounds. This is a technique that's been popularized in the last five or six years to cut down on production costs while actually trying to make it look like it's on location. The problem is, is when you combine green screens with matte backgrounds, even in today's world, it's patently obvious that that's what's going on and totally breaks the illusion the other part of the filmmaking that really irked me is that unless you have never been 
to Disney World and or Disneyland, which so few of the people who will watch this movie will qualify for that, you will know when they are not where they purport to be. There are shots where the Matterhorn is in the background. Uh, the teacup ride, the Mad Hatter's teacup ride, is not covered. The uh, It's a Small World After All is outdoors. These are all from Disneyland. And the movie takes place at Walt Disney World, as established and rein, you know, reinvigorated through, or I'm sorry, reiterated throughout the movie. This is supposed to be taking place at Walt Disney World. Now I understand that they couldn't spend forever and a day at Walt Disney World, and if you're living in California, it's easier to just go down to uh, to, to go down there to Disneyland. But on the same token, maybe you could have just had the movie take place at Disneyland. I don't know. Um, so these kinds of things completely break the illusion of what you're trying to do. And then instead of allowing you to be more active in the movie, it just takes you away. And it and you never can quite get settled in doing that. Not to mention, the plot is a little bit too surreal. And after a while, you just kind of give up trying to make sense of it all. At the end of the day, I just wasn't really buying it. I was really looking forward to it, and I was really disappointed by it. It's still an interesting movie. Some people may get more out of it than I did. I know Roger Ebert was definitely very fascinated by it prior to his death, and actually had selected it for one uh, for another type of screening that he did for certain groups of movies. But for me, I just got to give this one two stars. I, I just didn't like it. Yeah, I was a little disappointed at, by it as well. Uh, it was different than what I expected. What the what I originally thought, what I've heard about the movie, I mean, from people that have seen the movie, I got the idea that it was going to be more provocative, haunting, terrifying. Like this was going to be a trip, you know, and, and like this guy's like madness, you know, like his worst fears are going to come to life in Disneyland. You know, I think the the Disneyland parks using incorporating both of them wasn't that distracting to me. Even though I too can see, could tell, obviously, which because I've been to the I haven't been to Disney World, but I've been to Disneyland a lot, and so I was able to tell like, oh hey, that looks too cool to be at Disneyland. That was obviously at Disney World. So yeah, I could I could definitely see that. But however, I think the reason why they use both and maybe more so Disneyland more is because depending on which place they shot at first they they probably either got caught shooting something or they wanted to not raise too much suspicion and that's why maybe they had to reshoot things at a different park or even that is why they had to do a blue screen because some of the blue screens and green screens were so random and felt so out of place that it it's i I could smell lawsuit just seeping from the screen it's like blue screen lawsuit they had to redo this because lawsuit. Maybe so, I don't know, but that's what I got from it. But like I said, I was expecting this movie to be something different. Instead, you got a movie that is overall pretty goddamn immature and trying to be... I, I went back and was reading reviews and people 
what people really liked about it and what people didn't like about it, people were praising them for being for him being kind of like David Lynch or David Cronenberg or whatever. And other people, they didn't like it because he was trying too hard to be like David Lynch or Cronenberg. And I kind of have to agree. It's that there, there's a moment, maybe the first 20 minutes is wonderful. But then they start like, it, it takes a little while before the madness kind of kicks in. And then it really doesn't build. It just all of a sudden happens isn't something that you're quite expecting. Or at least it wasn't what I was expecting. It just turns way too, what Matt, like what Matt said, surreal. And a little bit too futuristic, over the top, uh, maybe mid to early 70s THX 1-1 whatever, whatever, whatever. It's very different, and again, it's immature. Like the jokes, so they they do a pretty good job in, at times trying to be funny, and you know, at, at you know, the, the guy can be funny, and just seeing how like dads have to put up with some shit when they're at Disneyland or Disney World to make their kids and their wives happy, and you know, some of that interaction was funny. But then they go into like the immature humor, and then they go into him falling for these two obviously super young French girls. They looked like they were in junior high school. And I wouldn't have been too bothered if it was kind of, like, hinted that he had a thing for them. Or even, like, him pursuing him. But most of the movie, or a big chunk of the movie, is him having this sexual impulse. Like, the sexual infatuation with these two very young French girls. As well as his son. And there's a moment in the movie where I actually thought, like, is there going to be a foursome between these, like, junior high school French girls, this dad, and that dad's six-year-old son? Because it was it, that awkward. I don't know, it might have just been me, but just the movie, the, and it wasn't awkward in, a, in, a, in an entertainment nor a art way. It was just awkward because it felt like they were trying to make a movie that was completely different than what the movie turned out to be or what the hype was making the movie about. Again, I thought it was going to be haunting, provocative. I thought it was going to be a trip into the hell of this man's psyche because he lost his job and, you know, he's worried about his family and his life and, you know, the happiest place on earth turns out to be the worst and scariest place on earth. And that is not what I got. So when it just comes down to it for me, they could have crafted something special and unique, but instead it was more, I, I guess it was just nothing, nothing above interesting to me. So I give this movie three stars, because really it, it's interesting, and it is, you can watch it and get something for it in hell. You know, it takes a lot of guts, and it take, does take talent, I think, to pull off somewhat of a movie within the gates of Disneyland and Disney World. So, three stars for me. Right on, right on. Okay, well, where do you want to go from here, sir? Frozen Ground or the FP? Let's go with uh, the Frozen Ground. All right, the Frozen Ground, 2013 American thriller film, and this is based on the real-life uh, capture of Robert Hansen. This uh, stars Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, and Vanessa Hudgens, and is... I would say competently acted. It's a, this is not exactly a... It's not a bad movie. It's, 
it's an okay movie. This is an okay movie. It's it like I said, it's very competently acted. Uh, you get the point of the characters coming across. Vanessa Hudgens is plays a prostitute who a stripper and prostitute who because of her profession is not believed when she says that she's been kidnapped by this guy named Robert Hansen, played by John Cusack. Uh, eventually it does end up landing on the desk of Jack Holcomb, who is with the Arizona, uh, Alaska State Police, um, that he's played by Nicolas Cage, and then he goes on the hunt. Uh, lots of, you know, invented and invented twists and turns. You know, it, it's gorgeous country. <laughs> it's, it, is, it is Alaska. It's very pretty. And you definitely see a lot of it. Yes, you do. Every five minutes, there is a panoramic, swooping shot, helicopter shot of Alaska. I really think, honestly, though, I really think that that was part that was almost like influenced by Insomnia. Remember Al Pacino and Robin Williams? Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, definitely. I think that that was a heavily influenced there, and I and I really think that that's what they were trying to 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 emulate, not not mimic or just directly copy. I think that's what they're trying to emulate. Unfortunately, it tends to just really make it drag in a lot of places where it doesn't necessarily need to. Uh, but on but on certain points, like when there's a point where you see uh, Hanson, again, played by John Cusack, and he's got this girl, he flies her out to the middle of nowhere, and then, you know, he's going to kill her in the middle of nowhere. And those establishing shots and those perimeter shots like that do a great job of conveying the loneliness that you're about to die in and there is no hope for you and I think that that's something that is both breathtaking and awe-inspiring and very depressing at the same time it's just it's used a little too much for me so again I, I think this is a competent movie um, I'm not really sure the choices again weren't terrible for the characters that they had I just I'm I, I don't know I for me, it just it, it was okay. It, it, it didn't do a whole lot for me, but I can't really say that the movie in and of itself is just bad. So, all in all, if you've got nothing better to do, got an hour and a half to kill, go ahead, check it out. For me, two and a half stars. That's all I got. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, this is a difficult one for me to review because I think it's a really good movie because uh, uh, overall it's very effective. Very, very effective. I, by the end of it, I was like, holy shit. The I, John Cusack is the killer. He plays a really good bad guy in this movie. Unlike in the Paperboy. Unlike the Paperboy. <laughs> he is, totally he's, forgot about the Paperboy until you just said. <laughs> yeah, he is. Oh my God, he is yeah, creepy. Better. I mean, it's one of those character. It's one of those bad guys where he moonlights as this horrible, atrocious human being, but. You know, during the daytime, he has a wife and kids, and he runs a a bake a bake a a, a, a pastry shop or a bread shop or whatever. So he's very effective. Nicholas Cage, as a leading man who is the investigator, highly effective as well. He holds the your attention completely, as well as some of the the very uh, the the guy from uh, I I forget his name that uh, Hank from Breaking Bad is in the movie. Equally as you know, as good as the 
other detective in the in the movie, and the various other people. However, the acting that gets me, the worst person in this movie is Vanessa Hudgenson. Or Vanessa Hudgenson. Every time she has to act in this movie, she is acting. She is not conveying a character. It sound, it feels like she's in a high school play. That is what some of these scenes play out play out as. Even even with some of the Nick Cage's scenes, which I don't really think is necessarily his fault. It's just maybe his dialogue, as well as sharing a scene with Vanessa Hudgenson, because she is a very sad and yes, her character is a real human being. You know, it's based off a real person, and it is a very sad situation she is in. I mean, the, the stuff that she had to go through that the, the person is is horrific uh, however how Vanessa how she portrayed the character was very kind of like I am very sad you know not like let me look into this character why am I sad what is making me sad you know the 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 whole you know you look at the the, the, the actor's train of thought you know whenever you look at a character you know it's not acting is reacting there's not much reacting there's vocally, you know, like a response vocally, like in the dialogue, but there's no like reaction in the eyes, no sound effects, no breathing, no, no, no you know, none of that like vocal reaction. Like a sound comes out, and it's not necessarily a word, but like a, maybe a mutter of some sort. There's not much of that. It's all heavily relied on the dialogue. And unfortunately, that creates some of that, like I said, the high school acting. And it's littered throughout this whole movie, as well as the gratuitous various crane shots and helicopter shots of the beautiful Alaskan forest. (laughs) And it does definitely evoke the feeling of isolation, but it doesn't a whole lot, as well as the, the, the editing of this movie is very sporadic, and it's more so kind of annoying at the beginning it's there it's definitely sporadic and noticeable throughout the movie as well though it does become more noticeable as the story progresses and as the characters themselves and the story itself in the situations just kind of like grab you by your gut to make this movie hard to not i don't want to say enjoy because it's not that the subject matter itself the material isn't enjoyable but the movie tonally is very good. It's a very immersive experience. Not, I wouldn't compare this movie to The Prisoners, which I said that movie was very atmospheric and immersive. Everything that this movie did wrong, they did right. Again, for the reason of the acting and the editing and the use of shots and the use, the gratuitous use of music to establish an emotion. Like, this is a sad scene, therefore we must have the random, like, violin orchestral sad music you know this is a tense scene we need to have that tense music stuff like that but again this movie has those moments in it that make it so good john cusack has these creepy moments that are just so damn good and frightening you know he definitely becomes the character and this movie definitely in my opinion makes it well worth watching i'll give this movie 3.25 out of five very well then very well all right so i guess that leaves us with the f p <laughs> what is the f p matt what is the f p uh the f p is fraser park yo 
<laughs> it's okay. This is a dystopian future where you get to play Dance Dance Revolution to save your trailer park. <laughs> and is it epic? Oh, oh yeah. this yes, it's the two four eight gang versus the two four five. We got L W E versus J Tro, uh, which is kind of funny considering Sky is named Jason Trost, and that's his name. That's like his real name is Jason Trost, and he plays J Tro. Um, and then you've got a guy. His real name is Lee Valmacy. And he's so his real name is Lee, and then it's L W E. So I'm like, did is this just lazy or were they just? <laughs> All right, so this is a uh, it's future um, a, alcohol for whatever reason is in short supply. <laughs> I don't remember them ever properly explaining that away, but whatever. Two rival gangs buy for control of this place. One gang wins and takes it over and starts limiting the alcohol supply, so that causes the meth trade to increase. Hometown hero, disgraced, has to come back and win it all for his friends and respect and all that stuff. Uh, We've got psychotropic drugs being used to do the... It's kind of like... If Trailer Park Boys met Karate Kid met, what's the, what's that series of uh, dance movies that they keep coming out with? Uh, um, um, oh, good lord! There's been like there's been a lot, eight of them. I know. They keep doing them in like 3D now and stuff. It shows how how relevant they are to culture now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, At any rate, so if you did them with those movies, and you combined all those, you would get this. It's just, okay, it's a terrible movie, but it is a guilty pleasure terrible movie. It's kind of like a Dance Dance Revolution version for me of The Expendables, which is bad for me but in a good way i love the expendables because of everything that it stands for i love this movie for everything that it stands for but it's a terrible movie there's just no getting around it when you're when your characters literally and these aren't like nicknames these are names j tro and kcdc y'all get it up in here blt a fucker named blt how are you gonna take me taking seriously named blt up in the hood I guess because you're playing DDR for the FP, bitch. I, um, the only person with a real name is Stacy. I don't know. Why didn't they just call it S to the C to the C? I mean, what? Huh? <laughs> um, yeah, this movie is really bad. But it is a guilty pleasure bad. So I'm going to give this three stars because it was so bad it was good. And I enjoyed it for that. It's a terrible movie. Do not go into it expecting much, if anything at all, but enjoy it for its for for the sheer enjoyment of lunacy and being ludicrous. So I was recommended the FP by uh, a couple of fr- a few friends of mine, Chris Side, Scott Fathery, and Danny Adrian, and they this was they watched it. The morning before I came over to hang out, and that afternoon they kept referencing this movie. First off, it started with I was standing in their kitchen, and they kept looking at me and saying, You remind me of 
the guy who wrote, directed, and starred in this movie entitled The FP. And they, you know, and, and like they told me about it and, you know, the trailer park and fighting for the right and of the trailer park. let me just say the... no. <laughs> you do not look like that guy. <laughs> well, you don't he... even remind me of that guy. So they kept talking about this movie just all day long. And so I thought, okay, well, I had I had to watch it. So going into it, I thought it was just gonna be stupid. You know, I had a had a few beers because they said you gotta you gotta you gotta have a couple beers before watching it. Yeah, you, you gotta. And I gotta say that I was after the movie was over, I was trying, or actually throughout the movie, I was thinking like, what is bad about this movie? And I was as I was thinking of the negative things, I couldn't help but to think about all the great things about this movie because the movie is actually a well-made movie for it being such a low budget flick the lighting you have the production like what they did with the uh, with the production value with the sets you know the locations they tried their best to make this movie a snake plinkin is it plinkin from escape from new york and escape from la yes, escape from new york yes yeah 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 they're trying so hard to make they, they like a movie like that but like with him doing battling on dance dance revolution or whatever they call the movie and it it works. Yeah, there's you know not such great things about the movie. I mean, the movie uh, you know gets a little repetitive there in the middle, and you know go, you know heading to the the end, it could have been shortened maybe by ten or fifteen minutes. But it's still ultimately a well made movie for what it is. It's I mean you have such great great quotes. Balance, bitch. Balance. Or you got to dance with your mind. Not with your feet. Or be all the nigga you can be. And they say that a lot in the movie. And then one of my favorites is fucking Bermuda Triangle shit. And I'm not adding that emphasis. Maybe Matt can add the emphasis to it because he can do a better black guy than me. Or better Asian black guy. Because actually all these people in this movie <laughs> are trying to be black guys. It's it's really, I really love, funny. What? I don't think there's even a black guy in the movie. What song did you want me to say? Uh, how about Balance Bitch Balance? Balance, bitch, balance! How about fucking Bermuda Triangle shit? Fucking Bermuda Triangle shit! Yeah, that's actually pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) But every character is wacky, zany. To me, I can compare this movie to... In a way, to Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. A much lower budget of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and without the special effects. In the way that there is constantly music throughout... The music is actually pretty damn good. It's not just your run-of-the-mill, public-domain, dance, trance, techno music. It's actually pretty good stuff that people actually composed this shit to put it in, to make to put in this movie. And it's it's well done. There's all these great running gags throughout the movie, and this might be this might have been the most enjoyable comedy I have seen since. Like indie comedy I've seen since uh, the, the, what's the movie with David Cross about the end of the world, the the bomb blowing up L.A. and it was one of our favorite comedies from last year. Oh, uh, the oh god, I just uh, looked at uh, the Breck no the the br- no it was brunch something shit end of the world. Yeah 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 yeah. Uh, oh come on, um, the the breakfast no the, oh, shit. Oh fuck! What is, what the shit was that movie? It's a disaster. Yeah, it's a disaster. Oh my god! 
It, it's probably one of the most, to me, one of the most enjoyable throughout. And I actually laughed. I don't laugh a lot whenever I, when I'm watching a movie by myself on my with headphones on on my laptop. <laughs> and I, I I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. And of course, there are things that aren't to like about the movie, and the movie does become a little repetitive by the ending. But I can say bad things. But if you take the movie for what it is. Like what Matt said, just turn your brain off, sit down, enjoy it. You know, you might dig the look of it, you might not. You might dig the humor, you might not. But there's more to it than, I think it's, dare I say, smart? It's, I, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say smart, because I don't want you going and thinking that you're expecting like Peter Sellers type of comedy, because it's not. But it, it has some good stuff in it. And uh, I, I give this one, uh, I give this one 4.25. <laughs> Actually, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, just wow. I mean, I I understand where you're coming from on this one. I I really and truly do. I I do understand where you're coming from on this, but even given even just you know for the sake of argument, granting all of your uh, issues and and trying to give it credit for the budget that it had and everything like that. I'm sorry, it just, it's still, I, I, I just disagree on the intention being better than the product. I, I don't, I, I think that even the whole plot, the whole idea, the story itself is so ludicrous and just, it's it's like a non sequitur almost the the whole idea the whole very idea of the movie and yet and then it's I'll give you that it's executed as well as it could be for the budget that it can be but even go, given granted that it's still not a good movie well in- and the fact that we're both admitting that you have to be drunk and turning our brains off and then still well you don't have and- to I, I mean I wasn't drunk while watching okay. it. I, uh, it's just inebriated it, lightly having imbibed well no I mean I can you. probably I can watch it right now and be. And I am sober right now. <laughs> and, and I think it, okay. Another, let me explain it this way. My at least my thought process is that if I had such a low budget, and again, I'm not too sure how much they had to make this movie. Forty five thousand dollars. Forty five thousand dollars, and that's including you know they had a they the festival circuit paying people whatever you know it just very 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 low. Even that movie, uh, Bellflower. The post, what was supposed to be the almost post-apocalyptic movie, and yada yada yada, with the they scratch they scratched the film lens to make it look more like a cool movie. I don't know that that movie cost them a million dollars, and look what they did not achieve with that movie. But yet with me, it's I watched this, and it's it's like if I had forty five thousand, I'm glad that people are able to make a movie that is this effective. For $45,000. And look how young these people are. And yet, to me, I was still able to enjoy it. And I think that helped me enjoy it more. So it's not just the fact that, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I you know, I like the movie. But, oh, wow, look at, look at, look at the making of it. And I'm going to go ahead and give it, you know, two extra stars for that. No, it's because I, with knowing that, going into it, and knowing that even afterwards, while watching it, I, I was able... I, I don't know, it just... I, I enjoyed the movie because of that fact. 
not as an afterthought, but I just I honestly enjoyed the movie while watching it. And All right, yes, so then this okay. So I would have to say that this would be one of those perfect times that we need anyone listening to this show to to weigh in in some form or fashion, either with our Twitter at the SLS Cast or sending an email to our official email address now the show at slscast.com because this is what do we. Do we see the nuggets, the kernels, the, the beginnings of people who really did their best, not just with the limited budget and pulled off something truly entertaining? Or is it just really, let's face it, it's guilty pleasure good, but it's still so bad as it's good? Because either way, I mean, we're enjoying this movie. I, I can't, I mean, there's no way either one of us can say we didn't enjoy it. Look at the ratings we gave it. I mean, I give it a lie, I like it. You give it, you're giving it an, or a, a, better than I really liked it. So, but. I think the only thing that we disagree on is from whence the goodness comes. Is that fair to say? Well, yeah, yeah. But I, I get, yeah. I guess just, you know. Well, I, mean, I just want to make yeah. sure I understand. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't, I mean. Mikey, why? if you were here now. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Mikey. Good old Mikey. I was listening to uh, our early episodes the other day. Listened to a few of the, about 20 minutes from several of the different episodes. Yeah. Early on. Feeling we nostalgic. so much better than we were before. <laughs> well, but I do miss Mikey. I think we're, we're probably better than we were 20 episodes ago. <sighs> well then, we ought to be like damn full on professional by the time we get to episode 100, right? Maybe. I mean, we are 79 right now, so we, we I think we might have hit our peak. <laughs> awesome. Now we can start going downhill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Awesome. All right. Well, then, so we're. I think I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on uh, why we enjoy the movie the way we enjoy the movie. That um, is great. It's a very interesting agree to disagree, though. Yes, I, I and I agree on that. So interesting. All right, so there you go. So definitely, this is definitely a movie we are both saying check out. It's just for different reasons that we're saying check out, which I think are like usually the best. That's like the second best review for us, I personally, because I think it's best when we really have to break it down and get to the nitty gritty why why we disagree over someone will like a movie versus someone one of us that doesn't. This is, this is the second best scenario where we both agree on the film in terms of either liked it or didn't like it, but we totally disagree on why. And, you know, who, who the fuck knew the FP was going to do this? I mean, <laughs> it's the FP, y'all. Uh, good old beat, beat, revolution, which is what they call it in the movie. Because, you know, you had to do something that sounded like dance, dance, revolution. <sighs> anyway. All right. Well, there you go. So those are the movies there. Next week, we are going to be doing Edge of Tomorrow, Harry Dean Stanton, Partly Fiction, and The Dirties. And there you go. So I guess that brings us to The Spiel, does it not? 
Spiel on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, of course, we are, as always, the SLS Cast, and you can check us out at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can also send us an email to get it. This is the new email address again the show at slscast.com and of course you can like us on facebook subscribe to us on itunes and or favorite us on stitcher radio which now means that until next week this is matt saying that thanks to clive owen i get to say this i think anybody who bets on horses and says they win is probably a liar and this is tim i just want to confess to you that podcasting's my laugh it's it's just my life. I, I love I love doing it. it. It's podcasting is my life. It's my life. It's it's my life. Seriously, y'all, it's, it's it's my life. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. <laughs> it's my life. <laughs> All right, seriously, I'm trying to have some silence at the end so you have dead air on both ends. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.